All right, everybody. So today on the podcast, we have Colton Lucas. How you doing, man? Great, man. How are you? Good, good. Glad to get you on. So uh, we connected, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. Um, and just, you know, showing your love for the channel and passion for fitness. You know, we talked about uh, working together on some of my videos. So if people watching have been enjoying the editing in more recent videos, we can thank Colton for that. And I, I do definitely appreciate it. So thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of cool because I get to like zoom through your videos and see them first. So yeah, and also see how not smooth <laughs> I sound at times when you're recording. It's weird, man. Like people, even like people who are good speakers, when you're recording yourself and like, you know, especially now I'm like, oh, like somebody else is editing this. Like you just start to like think of things like, oh, that sounded a little weird or something, right. you know, you just kind of get in your head a little bit. So it's funny, but. The I'll one assume. where you dropped your computer was pretty hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll assume you judge me and then you just keep it to yourself. That's all fine. <laughs> so, uh, so you are obviously a coach yourself. Uh, you've been in the fitness game for a while. Uh, before we get into that, we said that today's charity donation was going to go to a cerebral palsy foundation. So can you just go into why you chose that? Yeah, certainly. So um, obviously, uh, cerebral palsy is kind of a, a big issue. And for some people, it affects them much, much greater than others. Um, what people don't realize is like the the people who are severely affected by cerebral palsy, those are the individuals that that most people are familiar with. Um, you know, they're they're stuck with some form of walking support for their entire life. They might not even have control of their lower extremities in any capacity. Um, but there are individuals like myself who have a very minor uh, form of cerebral palsy. And uh, it just it doesn't inhibit my movement. Obviously, I'm, I work out, I'm super into fitness. So I can still basically do everything, but uh, my, my movement is inhibited just slightly. So, um, and it, it affects me every day. And so it's something I'm very passionate about and I see how it affects other people. And I'm thankful that I'm not, you know, one of those more severe cases, but at the same time, you know, I can relate in the sense of um, having that limiting factor per se. So. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I had no idea just like seeing your videos and stuff. So how is it affecting, like you said, it's not that much, but how is it affecting you? Is it like how you're walking or what? Yeah. I mean, basically with everything. So when I was a kid from, the ages like seven to probably about 13, 14, I had to wear a cast to kind of form my bones correctly because the musculature wasn't forming or wasn't as strong per se as my left leg. I had to wear a, a brace so that my bones wouldn't grow at kind of an angle. And so my foot wouldn't kind of uh, torque inward. Um, so I had to do that through my childhood. That was kind of like the, the biggest first experience I had. Um, following that though is in, and still what really affects me today is the length dis discrepancy between my legs. So, um, my left leg is actually the normal one like, per se. It's the, the one not affected. My right leg is the one affected. So it's actually almost an inch and a quarter shorter, um, mm -hmm. than my left. So, uh, especially when it comes to just walking, especially walking a lot, it can be, um, something that would be very simple for a lot of people. But for me, you know, that just that little imbalance can shift the hips, shift your spine, and uh, you can get really sore really quick. And then relating it to the gym, obviously, leg day is a whole complex beast in itself. Um, yeah. I have to do a lot of isometric movements. I have to um, sometimes I'll raise my foot, my right foot on a, a platform to even out my hips for um, squatting movements. Um, so it, it affects me in some capacity almost in, in every point. So, 
Wow. You're just, yeah, I'm just thinking of when I've had like one shoe on and how annoying that could be to walk. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's that's how I would relate it. It's almost as if you have a full sole of a shoe underneath one foot and you're just kind of like gimping around. Yeah. I'm really good at hiding it. And, you know, even if you look through my Instagram, you're not going to see many pictures where you're like, that leg is significantly smaller. Yeah. Um, but it, it's something that's always kind of in my mind. And it, it, you could call it an insecurity for sure. Cause obviously when you go on stage and even as like a physique athlete, which is um, what I turned pro as it's still like there, you're still like my calf is smaller than my, my left right. calf. They're going right, to notice. Right. Yeah. Well, mine are just so small that if, if there was a discrepancy, <laughs> you wouldn't notice it anyway. So. Yeah. There you go. So you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you were up to 220 at one point. I, I'm assuming that was like an off season, um, but kind of what's like your competition history as far as what you broke up to and, and what you cut down to? Yeah. So when I first um, started competing, uh, I, I so I've always been into lifting since I was I was 13 years old. I had this amazing coach who um, in middle school was a bodybuilder himself, and I, and I mean like a full blown bodybuilder. This dude was probably close to, you know, I was a kid, but close to 260, 270. I mean, he was massive. The whole town knew him as the the town bodybuilder. Um, and he, he coached all these strength and conditioning classes for my school. And so he kind of like mentored me. And since then, you know, I've I consistently have been lifting um, from the age of 13, whether it's on my own or in a class or in some kind of capacity. Um, so lifting has always been a, a prerogative for me dieting never really took place up until I started competing. So I just kind of like my mind was, Hey, just eat as much as possible. So there was points in time where I would get up to, you know, like 220 to 230, but it wouldn't be like a healthy 220, 230, yeah. like a almost borderline obese 220, 230. So, wow. um, and how you tall know, are you? Six two. Okay. So, so you're pretty tall. Yeah. So, uh, it, it was kind of, it was, it was an interesting time. I thought, you know, kind of like everyone does when they start, they're like, Hey, you just got to eat a bunch of protein, get your, your mass building shakes in and go to the gym and you'll be fine. Sure. Um, so that's kind of what I did. And then I started to cut down when I competed my first show, which was 2019. Um, I was, I think 176 on stage. Okay. Um, day of the show. And then I bolts back up to, I never got above 200 at that point. So I was like, I leveraged around, I was, I was probably on average around 200 for most days. Um, occasionally bumping up and down, depending on like how many meals I'd have extra or whatever the case may be. Um, but after that first show, I was super, super strict on my diets. Uh, I, I kind of developed this mindset where like, if you don't eat six meals a day and if you don't do this 100% uh, to the plan, you know, you're not going to advance. And so I always kept my calories pretty, pretty relative kind of towards maintenance. Uh, I never really put on weight in a healthy manner. So I stayed relatively lean. And then uh, just recently uh, I did another show and that show I came in like three pounds heavier than the, the year before 2019. So the show is 2020, same month in October. Uh, and I only put on like two pounds of stage weights. I was relatively um, sim similar as, as far as conditioning goes. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of where I realized like, okay, I need to actually maybe eat a little bit more to promote some growth. Um, when I say I would stay lean, like I would stay like under or at 10%, um, never more, never, never really less. But And you were how old when you did your first competition? I was 19. 
So you're only what, like 21 now? Uh, 23. 23. Okay. Maybe I didn't math there. So you said 2019 was your first competition? Yep. So it was October 2019. Maybe I'm doing the math wrong. It was 2018. I'm sorry. My okay. first competition was 2018. Gotcha. I mean, that's probably like a good, it gives people an idea of what I feel like is kind of generally achievable in natural bodybuilding. Like, yes. cause you're, you're taller than I realized. So, cause like, I feel like the average height in the fitness industry is like five, seven or something. So right. uh, for you to be, you know, 176 at six, two and like contest lean, I mean, that's a good physique, but it's not like this is just unattainable. You know, I'd say that's like solid. And then, you know, if you were to continue to compete naturally, you probably, you know, maybe could have put on a couple more pounds from season to season. Um, but you had, like you said, you had had maybe seven years of like lifting under your belt and not, you know, the, maybe all totally serious, but still right. lifting and progressing. So continuously. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a big misconception is a lot of the clients I get are like, Hey, why am I, I just can't figure out why I'm making progress in the gym. And it's only been six months. And I'm like, listen, um, you, you have to realize that the people you're viewing are are the exception. And that's, I think, missed in lots of, uh, when you, especially when you look at Instagram and you see all these people, you know, I gained 40 pounds in, in two years. Listen, you're lucky to gain five in two years. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, at least after you're past that, you know, beginner stage and everything. Right. So, right. um yeah. And I, I think it's good to have, and also cause like if people can look at you and they can see, okay, this guy's got a good physique. So you don't have to be like the, you know, and not to say that you're average cause you're, you're pretty clearly above like what you see in like an average gym, but you can have a good physique and it just takes time. You know, it's not something that's like immediate or like you said, people on Instagram, you don't know what people are doing. So, um, so, and you did discuss at one point, I guess somewhat related to the cerebral palsy that you decided to no longer compete naturally. Right. right. And now you're, are you in the NPC or you're going to compete in the NPC? I am in the NPC. So my last show was in the NPC. Okay. Um, but yeah, related to the cerebral palsy, they, the, basically the diagnosis I received was that they think um, the, what cerebral palsy is for those who don't know is essentially when it can be from many things, but when you're in birth, um, you know, at some point there's a lack of oxygen or blood supply and a portion of your brain kind of dies off, um, for lack of a better term. And so that portion of your brain probably controls some component of your body. For my case, it was, you know, my, my right leg. They also think that that affected my pituitary and its ability to produce hormones. So, um, through kind of my youth, I really struggled with that, um, until I was finally prescribed with, um, testosterone replacement therapy. Cool. So is that something that you had considered, you know, if you saw my podcast with Pete Rubish and, you know, I kind of talk about a very common trend is, you know, I would say like I started so young, kind of like, you, I started like 12. So my timeline would be extended if I ever went that route, but like, you know, it's okay. Six, seven years in, you've kind of gotten most of your natural progress. You could, you know, eke out some more over the next 10 years. Um, but a lot of times people don't really wait for that. And so then they start and obviously they can make a lot more progress or other people just say no, like if it's, and I've had clients who have done both who have said no, like, you know, I have a 45 year old client who's just on TRT. He's been on TRT for 15 years, zero interest in bumping it up or anything like that. And then there's other people who say, well, I'm on TRT, but that allows me to kind of do a little bit here and there. And you don't really have to worry about shutdown at that point because you're already shut down. So yeah, exactly. No, I would, I would certainly agree with that. I think uh, it, it, 
provides a gateway just similar to any other drug yep. and the mindset immediately especially when you're in this industry your mindset immediately goes to okay you know what can i leverage more from now um where i couldn't at before because you already know okay for me especially i was like okay i'm, I'm out of the camp of the natural athlete um, now I'm entering to this realm and I'm seeing the guys on stage and I'm like, this is, uh, it's going to be tricky, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it kind of gave me the ability to leverage other things, um, to a point though, which thankfully for me, because of my experience and the length of time it, it for anyone who actually gets TRT, I'm not talking about goes to a sports clinic and, and just gets prefer like 300 milligrams per week type stuff. Uh, I'm talking right. from an actual endocrinologist who will prescribe you maybe, you know, 120 milligrams, depending on your body weight. Um, you, it takes months. It's not a process that's like you just make a quick call and they send it to you. Um, I had to go through almost over a year of Clomid uh, monotherapy, which was miserable um, and, and continually come back for blood work, for blood work, for blood work. Did it ever get your testosterone it's so that yeah, it would artificially bump my testosterone up. So it, um, initially, you know, it would go from low two hundreds to upper five hundreds. Um, so we'd be like, great, you know, it worked. And usually that would be like a pill every day, which was at that time, 40 milligrams every day of Clomid. And then we would switch to, um, every other day. And then every third day, I don't know why, but that was just their, their protocol. So the first months would, would be, uh, the first month would be 40 milligrams every day, the second month, uh, 40 milligrams every other day and the third month, every third day. And, uh, every time my, my, my test levels would look great. My, my total. And the thing is, is and this is a whole rant I could go into, but they're only looking at total test levels. They're not right. looking at free testosterone, SHGPG, um, anything, but anyways, they, they see that artificial number raised. So it goes up to like the upper 500s and he's like, great, you know, you're fixed. Excellent. Um, then, you know, three months later, I come back, do more um, follow-up blood work, and I'm back down to the 200s. And at one point, like we were talking before this, I got down uh, to below that. So it was only the 160s or 140s, I can't remember, um, total testosterone. And uh, it, that kept reoccurring for, like I said, months and months and months. It got past a year. And that, at that point, we kind of just made the call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of points there. I mean, one, people don't realize like, so you can, and for your issue, right. You have to determine is it primary or secondary hypogonadism, right. And depending on the reason for it, you know, some people, they might be able to do Clomid, um, Nolvidex, things like that and, and get levels back to normal. But if you're just artificially boosting it, that doesn't, you're not going to stay on it for life. Right. I mean, nobody right. would suggest saying, I'm actually there. I've seen some recommendations to stay on Clomid as like a, basically like a form of TRT basically, or yeah. I guess you could say HRT. Um, but I certainly wouldn't recommend that. I, I think that would be a mess, but in any case, so that's one point, but two, as far as like where you get it and you're right, like there are these clinics all over the place. I mean, it's super right. easy to get. And it's I mean, ridiculous. I've talked to like some of these doctors and like, they're like legitimate doctors, but how they run this business and don't get closed down is amazing to me. Um, yeah. There's a viewer who, who I like and I've talked to quite a bit and he's on TRT and he was just emailing me about uh, some records he took. He like had it tested. So he's on like legitimate TRT, mm -hmm. but he, he ordered something from a reliable source and it was supposed to be 200 milligrams of primobolin. And it was like 175 total of five different compounds, including 
Tren, uh, a little <laughs> bit of Primo, Tess, Nangelone, and Equipoise, I think it was. And it's like, dude, like, first of all, like, why, if you're going to fake it, like, why did you have five different compounds? Right. Like it, it, I don't know, man. It's just crazy. It's almost out there. more expensive, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Um, so that, I mean, it's just crazy, like, what's out there and, and mm. you know, all of that. But yeah, if you go, and like another doctor I talked to, again, from like one of these clinics, and he was like, minimum he gives anybody is 200 milligrams. And I'm like, dude, like, that's just not based in science at all. Like, that's not replacement. Now, there's going to be some people who, you know, for one reason or another need like a higher dose to get free testosterone in like ideal ranges, mm-hmm. but it's a small, I mean, it's a small percentage. I mean, even a guy as big as John Meadows said that he was probably too aggressive going on 200 milligrams per week. And exactly. now he's still like 230 and he's on yeah. 100 milligrams a week. Are, are you familiar with uh, Mark Lobliner? Yes. So he has, he goes through a, a clinic. Um, can't remember their name, but when I was originally looking into TRT, I was calling around to compare, you know, other places. I was looking at these, these clinics cause I was curious. Um, and don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with these clinics. Cause if you are going to leverage some sort of PED, I would prefer a person go through a clinic where it is actually at least somewhat standardized. You have the backing of a, a clinic to and yeah. a compounding pharmacy to, to make you what you might be looking into. Um, but you know, they're prescribing like a standard dose of 300 milligrams per week. And then on top of that, they give you the ability to add, you know, Neandrolone at 200 milligrams per week. They give you the ability to add growth hormone, Anavar, uh, Anadrol. I mean, it's, it's quite literally like, Hey, here's the cycle. And yeah, you know, we're, we're considering ourselves a pharmacy. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing, but I know they do it. Um, which like you said, I mean, at least you have somebody kind of backing you. I think also, once you go on TRT, what you said earlier, it's like one of the biggest reasons that I, well, there's a lot of reasons I don't recommend most people to, you know, go the enhanced route. But one of them is like, it's just not going to do that much unless you stay right. on, right? Yeah. I mean, don't, like, yes, there are some people who do a cycle, but I mean, I know a guy who's a competitive bodybuilder and he did a cycle and he was like, well, I'm just going to go off everything. And his levels were like 25 nanograms per deciliter afterwards, even like months afterwards. Right. And the reality is like, I know so many people who like, you would never guess were taking something or once a year they did a cycle because they just lose it. And yeah. um, the difference between that and being on TRT or cruising, even a low dose cruise, and then like spiking once in a while, yeah. dramatic difference. It's insane. Yeah. And what I think what people don't realize is that once you just, you involve TRT, you start including it, even if it is in physio, even if it's in like the middle of the reference range, physiological levels, you're maintaining that. So it's not like it dips after one night of no sleep or eating or going out and drinking. It will consistently be that number. There's no peaks, but there's no troughs as well. So that is in what I I would consider enhanced already you have that benefit yeah. as opposed to some people where, you know, you're in a contest prep and you're doing tons of cardio when you're in a calorie deficit, your testosterone levels will drop significantly, but that person will be able to maintain a balance. Right. Yeah. I think it makes it even bigger. Like I, I think if you're an off season bodybuilder, cause there was a guy I talked to who I don't want to call him out, but like, I definitely disagree on how much he was saying TRT helps like tremendously. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're hypogonadal, sure. Yeah. But I think let's say you're normal male, you wake up, your levels are 700. By the time you go to sleep, they're like half that. Right. right. So 
is somebody who then takes TRT and actually has 700 like all day, is that a huge difference? It will be a difference. This guy was saying like, it's going to put on like 20 pounds of muscle. Like there's just no, no. evidence that's that strong, but, no. but it could make a difference. But compared to a guy who's maybe like 400 in the morning and 200 at night, and now your 700 is all the time, your area under the curve there is dramatically different. Right. And then obviously, like we were saying, I mean, what's stopping you from saying, hey, summer's coming up 12 week cycle, like, you know, these are the things that add up. And these are then and I'm sure you're not like this, but they are the guys who say, well, I barely do anything. It's like you barely do anything, but you haven't realized you've been barely doing anything for (laughs) 10 years. And you put on five pounds, you put on three pounds, and all of a sudden you're 25 pounds heavier than your normal, uh, your natural limit. But you still consider yourself like basically natural, you know, right. It's terrible. And the problem with it too, is it's so, again, looking at that, those elite people from Instagram, those, those influencers, uh, people see them as like, okay, they're definitely like using something. And when they say like, I'm not using that much, I think people begin to perceive that, you know, these things, these PEDs um, are the magic pill and that they instantly will provide them a physique that is similar, if not the same as said influencer. And the reality is that's just not true. I mean, you can see three out of five dudes in the gym are probably on something and you couldn't even tell. And and that's the reality. It's not going to leverage that much growth as people would expect. And it's certainly not going to change your structure or your genetics to make you somebody who you aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I just worked out with uh, Paul Canoe recently and He's just like a true genetic freak. And, and like in terms of muscle mass, yes, but not like, but part but it's largely structural. I mean, this guy literally, like we just randomly met at the gym one day and this guy literally, I would not at all be surprised if he was a future um, Mr. Olympia classic physique champion. Do you know who I'm referring to? Yeah. I think I've seen pictures of him. Yeah. I mean, his structure is ridiculous. I mean, he literally could be like a Brian Ainsley kind of guy. Right. And so and, and there was a picture of him from his first year of lifting. He showed me and I was like, I will never look at this good, you know, <laughs> exactly. and, but not, it's not like a, and like both genetics and for people who use gear, like just to be clear, like I'm saying these things just to point it out. I don't care at all. If somebody uses it, if I wasn't such a hypochondriac, I'd use it too. <laughs> you know, I just, I just freak out about health stuff. Um, but, but like, it's, it's fine. And I think if anything, like, like I can relate to it because it adds a whole new avenue of progress. And like, even like right. if you're a scientific thinker of like, well, okay, let's experiment with this. We can add this. I mean, um, I guess I don't want to say his name, but somebody I've had on the podcast a number of times, who's very clearly enhanced, but it, like very intelligent. And he basically just sorts the stuff out himself and he gets the blood work and he does the stuff. And um, if it wasn't, for the health ramifications, I think it's actually kind of like a cool thing to experiment with in the same way that a lot of naturals like to try a bunch of supplements or or try nutrition tactics and things like that. Yeah. I think everyone's kind of is appealed to the experimental side of things for sure. And, and even myself, yeah, it's definitely fun to review the research and kind of look into things and then make kind of come to your own conclusions and, and decide to do something based off your own intuition per se. Yeah. I could, I could see why that would be appealing for a lot of people, especially, but like you, I am an extreme, I, I get one bad blood marker and it might not even be something that serious. Like um, my ALT might be risen two points past the norm. Right. Normal. Right. 
I need to do something about this like right now. And I will change my entire diet that day. I'll, I'll completely go to the supplement store, buy everything I need that <laughs> associated with lowering this marker and right. go absolutely crazy with it. So I'm very similar in that sense. Yeah. Well, no, it's good, man. I mean, it's definitely better to be like that than, you know, right. like Boston Ignore Roy that. types or something. Not, you know, no hate on Boston. I mean, I like that he's like brutally honest about what he does, but like, it's very hard for me to relate to somebody who's got like, a 200 over 120 blood pressure. It's just like, yeah. you know, exactly. I can't, I love Boston. I love him because he's so, uh, he's, he's open, but he's also like, he, he just doesn't care. He'll tell you. And it doesn't matter to him. He doesn't take any sort of offense to what he says and what people say back. Yeah. And he will give his true feedback. And it's almost like one of the, the people in the industry that, you know, you can count on that he's not going to tell you like a, a falsified number. Like if this person took three grams, he's going to tell you he took three grams of three. Right. And right. that's what he took. But in that same sense, yeah, I love the guy and it's fun to listen to him and he's funny and he's super relatable, but it's like, man, I just, I cringe when I hear stuff like that. When you have that high blood pressure, just walking around daily, you know, it's like how, like my mind would just explode. I couldn't deal with it. It's amazing to see. I just kind of like wonder what goes into the psychology of somebody like that. Cause I mean, he, for people who don't know, I mean, he's done like obscene amounts of anabolics. I mean, I think in like the four or five gram range. Um, you saying he did uh, like seven CCs a day or something like that. I can't remember, but that's. Yeah. That's not even counting whatever growth hormone and insulin right. he's doing. So, I mean, he's, I don't know if I haven't seen an update in a little while. He was in like stage three or four. Like mm. kidney failure or something like that um so obviously he's kind of paying the price which is a shame he's got a family now but he's putting it out there um but yeah he, he's i think he's my age i think he's 28 or 29 yeah, so, so he's not an old guy at all but yeah. his experience in the industry and in the you know like pro bodybuilding scene is is pretty vast at this point just from his own experimentation Right. He's a very cool. I, you're familiar with uh, Leo and longevity. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that guy too. I, I follow all his podcasts. I listen to like literally every minute of them. Um, I really enjoy his content one because it's educational, but uh, two, because he provides insight that not many people have. And obviously mm-hmm. Boston is on uh, with him too, on their podcasts. And uh, I think he, you know, he's, he talks about it a lot and he realizes like, Hey, this is him, his fault, like 100%. Right. Um, but he, he mentions like how it's kind of getting better. And then like the next sentence, he'll talk about like putting four CCs of gear in him like the next day. And it's like, yeah, that's at one point. It's just, I don't, I don't, is it like a mental illness? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it's a, I can certainly get it. I mean, you, you know what this is like too. Like what, if you really analyze the, the gym, like what benefit do we get from it? when you look at it kind of neutrally, there's not a whole lot that we gain besides uh, an appearance that we want um, or maybe some kind of ego that we'd like to be perceived with. But outside of that, there's not much to it. It's just the progression that you get, whether that's strength or muscle or just the certain way that you look can become so, so addicting. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, Vigor Steve, you know, he went through that whole, um, thing with his non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right. um, which is also super inspirational and in how he um, fasted, um, got off everything and lost a ton of weight. Um, still looked great, still does. But having that mental capacity to just put yourself through that and 
watch yeah. yourself morph in the mirror. That's it that does. takes real strength. Yeah, I mean, because like, let's be honest. Like, as much as we extol the health benefits of this endeavor, it's it's largely an ego aesthetic driven <laughs> yeah. practice, right? I mean, that's why I got into it, and now it, it's probably more for health and longevity than anything for me. Um, but I still care about how I look for sure. And it's very hard to see that go away, which is actually part of the reason that I, I would not want to, you know, blast to the moon because the concern is like, I already know that like, as I age, it's going to be hard for me to see myself get smaller. But these guys, like I, I respect a guy like Dorian Yates, who seems to have just like fully accepted a completely different life. Um, and just being like, and of course, when you're that big, how can you not, but like Ronnie Coleman clearly has a hard time with it. And he's still going yeah, through injury after injury after injury. Still leg pressing with no, no bones in his back. Practically. Right. Right. It's, it's yeah. like, I would have such a hard time regressing. Cause like a lot of other areas, I mean, obviously in most areas of like, you're eventually going to, you know, kind of trend off, but like financially you can grow forever. Uh, if you're, I have a friend who's like just really into style and you can like, you know, continue that and be a stylish grandpa. Like there's a lot of things that you can continue to progress on, but like physical endeavors and especially like lifting, I mean, you can do it for the whole life, but that drop off, I think psychologically is really tough. And Boston's experiencing that to a large degree at 28 years old, you know? Yeah. It's gotta be tough. And it's, it's the weirdest thing because it's like, you know, I relate this to, it's almost like the one thing in life that a lot of people know what needs to be done to become successful. Whereas maybe to become financially successful or to build a family or build a business, it's not such a a straight and narrow path. And so it's almost like this is the one thing where a, you get almost immediate results. I mean, you're in a deficit for three weeks, you're going to see results. Mm -hmm. Um, But two, you, you get the feedback constantly from people talking to you from the pictures you see in the mirror and it's like you you can correlate with what you're doing and what kind of success it's bringing. But when it, a lot of the times when you relate that to other things um, like business or like finances, it's not as much of an instant gratification and it's not as much of a clear path. Um, there's not anyone, there's not like, I'm sure there is like um, online coaches for like businesses and stuff like oh, that. Oh, there's they, definitely, yeah, yeah. They, you know, what what how much of those are scams and whatever, but it's not as such of a, a straight path and it's certainly not as visible. The waters are a little bit more murky in that sense. Yeah. No, I mean, and like mentorship is important too. Like I, I think sometimes I take for granted, like my, my dad was like a really good influence on me financially. You know, like I had like a Roth IRA when I was like 18 or seven, like very young. I was yeah. investing in stocks when I was like 14, like, you know, but I had somebody who gave me that guidance. And so like, I'll see people who are like 30 and like, have no idea what they're doing financially. I'm like, Oh wow. Like you just didn't have that. But like, you know, like lifting wise, I mean, there's, there's so much nonsense out there. So I think I agree with you that people understand like there's amount of effort to it. Um, there's, you know, most people understand exercise more, eat less kind of like as a general thing. Um, but there's definitely still a lot of, uh, misunderstanding and and miscommunication out there as like far as what to do, because truly like, and we probably don't even realize that we take it for granted at times. But like, if you just talk to like the average person who says like, like what diet they're doing or like I have a patient today, well, I'm doing, I'm about to do like a three day cleanse. And like, you know, obviously I'm not about to spend 20 minutes talking about like why, (laughs) you know, but, but like, that's still a normal belief in people, you know? So there's a lot of miscommunication, which is obviously where you and myself and other people who try to get evidence-based stuff out there, 
out there, but it's a, uh, it's, it's tough. I don't know. It's, I, I feel like it's a losing battle. <laughs> I had a, a gentleman. I always get these funky DMs from people who are like, Hey man, can you just like, give me a piece of advice? And I'm always willing to help people for sure. Like, even if it's a quick message back, I'm always happy to, but you know, he was, he was fairly obese to, to be nice. And um, he's like, well, you know, I'm starting to do walks every day. And I'm like, Hey, that's great, man. Like I, I encourage moving in any capacity and walking is probably the easiest method of that. But uh, he was like, yeah, I'm taking uh, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar and I just haven't seen any weight loss. I'm like, Oh man, man, that's, those things aren't correlated. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> sensitivity, but that's not going to do it for you, man. I'm yeah. sorry. It's, it's tough. Cause wow, you get all yeah, these, you know, men's health articles and people read these things and they take it as, as the truth. They see Mark Wahlberg's workout. He's eating 10 meals a day and yeah. working some ridiculous amount of uh, workouts in twice a day and stuff. And it's like, that's not reality. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I uh, well, I guess I don't know if you watched the whole thing, but I just you did make the thumbnail for the Tom Brady one I have coming out this weekend. Yeah, that so, was really good. So for people interested, uh, look out this weekend for me destroying Tom Brady. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I said in there, I was like, I just have forgotten almost like you know we surround ourselves with like-minded individuals and and obviously I mean we see plenty of the BS out there, but like you you do like reading this book, I was like, oh wow, like this stuff is still out there and like it's even there's even worse stuff out there and it's like you just forget like oh yeah people can just say whatever they want and like that yeah. it will work and it's uh it's a little disheartening because i know people will say oh it's like um almost like a survival of the fittest or or like you know it's what's the like stupidity tax and things like that mm -hmm. that they'll figure it out but it's like dude like you you don't know unless you've really been doing this for a long time and I, I love Greg Knuckles had a quote and it was something along the lines of like, people are very good at knowing when somebody knows more than them about a topic. But when it comes to like two people who know more than them, it's hard for them to know which of those two know yeah. more. And I was, a, I did a horrible job just <laughs> repeating that quote, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. okay, this person and this person, they're both NASA scientists. They know way more, but if they're debating, I don't know which one's right. And right. you know, most people might hear these two people who, you know, you don't know if like Mikey Jertel debating, um, what was it like Greg Doucette, right? Maybe one mm -hmm. of them had way better points, but if you're new, you're like, I'm just hearing these two guys who both are way more jacked than I'll ever be. Arguing, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. So right. it's, it's confusing. It, it's, it sucks too, because we have all these, I mean, immaculate people who are exercise physiologists. They put a ton of evidence-based stuff out there and they, they really care about educating. I mean, they really, they truly do care and it's not just for money and you can see that it's evident, but then you see a guy who has an amazing physique or a girl and immediately it's like their opinion almost matters more to the general population. Oh, sure. it's, it's, it's strange, but maybe they see something in their physique and that's why they're more qualified. Um, I, I think that happens a lot truthfully. Yeah. And I don't, I've said this on other podcasts, but I like, I don't see that going away, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, because to an extent it does make sense. Like to us, we're like, Oh, we know it's like so genetic, right? Like, would you take financial advice from somebody who inherited $10 million or who grew their, you know, $100,000 to like $5 million. It's like, yeah, the latter person has less money, but like you got to see that. But most people would just think, I think with finances, probably more people know not to just look at like, oh, rich, they know what they're doing. Right. But I think when it comes to physiques and sports, 
I mean, if you just pulled a hundred people and you showed a picture of like Greg Doucette yeah. and Brad Loomis, right. Mm-hmm. And said, who knows more or even Eric Helms, let's say like Eric Helms yeah. doesn't look nearly as impressive as Greg Doucette. Right. People would just assume Greg Doucette. Right. And I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, I think the guy's fine, you know, whatever, <laughs> but, um, but obviously Eric Helms is, is like from a knowledge standpoint in this area, like top of the top. Yeah. And it, it kind of makes sense. Like I get where they're coming from. Like, well, why does he look like that then? Um, and I don't really see that ever going away that you're going to like, you know, mass inform millions and millions or like billion people that that's the way I think there's a, it makes sense. They're like, Oh, they look how I want to look. They probably know. So yeah. that's where we come in and we, slowly peck away with our couple thousand views here and there (laughs) but it is what it is right exactly it's interesting and you know not to discredit people like greg Doucette and stuff because obviously those people have some form of experience in the trenches like they know to some capacity what they're doing um whether it's just their trial and error or what but um the people that don't get recognized are the ones who have the the work in the trenches and they also are the experts in their actual field. They know what they're talking about. And it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the people are appealed to the individuals who just look the the part. So. Yeah. yeah. And I saw, um, I know we were talking about Boston a bit. I saw he and Dante, I don't feel like too much of like the drama that goes on, but I, I know Boston and Dante had some like back and forth arguments or something. And it's really funny because I've, I've seen you post about Dante. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Was he like a significant influence for you at all? Yeah. I love the guy. I think he, he has a lot of, uh, you know, maybe not the best knowledge when it comes to supplements and stuff. He knows like what does what, but he doesn't understand the mechanisms behind those things necessarily. He won't explain why they work to you, but he, he does point out things in the industry, like supplements, like training methodologies, like, it just the, the craziest stuff you wouldn't even think about. And they're, they turn out to be right. That's why I call him the Yoda of bodybuilding. Yeah. Part. Yeah. He's an interesting guy for sure. Cause he's been around for a while. I mean, he was writing, I don't know if you've seen his document cycles for pennies. Yeah. I, um, it's crazy. Or cycling for pennies. But, uh, but yeah, that's, he's, I don't know, 20 plus years old at this point. Right. And he's, it's like people really dislike him in DC or they like love him. Like it's like a DC, Dante cult and it's it's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see because like I, I mean I think his methods are good and he's produced like some like crazy physiques I'm not sure where the like total fanboyism from one or yeah. the other comes yeah. um you know I've seen him say things that I just totally disagreed with and I've seen him mm-hmm. say a lot of things that I like really agree with um and unfortunately he doesn't do podcasts as far as I'm, I think he's even <laughs> turned down like yeah. some of his own friends for yeah. podcasts. yeah um but it's, it's a shame because I think he would be an interesting person to like expose to the new generation, you know, and like people, I think he had a really good influence on people from maybe like 2000 to 2000 and like 10. And now he's still there, but I'm actually almost surprised that you've heard about him. Cause I don't think there's that many guys who were in their like late teens, or early twenties who know Dante. He's just not out there so much, you know? And now it's interesting too, because I think he's definitely shifted his, um, focus on more of health-based things. He's trying to fix bodybuilders rather than, I mean, he's still trying to improve them and show useful techniques for exercise and, um, you know, mindful usage of things. But he's, it, it seems like at least on his Instagram page, he's really concerned with people's health. And almost yeah. every other post is like a, a post about organ health or what supplements you should be taking or, or something about um, overall wellness, I guess. 
which is yeah, which I'm I'm glad he puts that out there because yeah. it's it's a shame like that really wasn't like I do kind of miss the days of like seeing like Rich Piana and everything like that. Right. Like, he was just an entertaining guy, um, but you know when I started learning about you know so for people who don't know like you know I was always just totally engrossed in natural bodybuilding. And like, before I like started really becoming like obsessed with health, you know, I always, I, I would say always, I considered going that route for a period of time. Um, I just assumed I'd be like, I remember reading people say like that the passion was invigorated and, and reignited and all of that. And uh, I just thought about it. So, I mean, I researched it a lot and I read about it a lot, but even then um, there were forums where people would just talk about, like they would ignore the health aspects and they just said, Oh, well, everybody does this and this being like multiple grams of gear and stuff like that. And that was like when I was probably about your age. So like, you know, I was maybe 22 or so. So to think of like how much that's changed in just like five or six years. And now like you have people on Instagram, like Dante, um, there's a guy, Dean St. Mars, I think is yep. the name. Saint Martin, yeah. Um, yeah. And like people who are like this, like really putting out like stuff out there. And like, so Again, I'm not an advocate for going that route, but if you do it, there's so much more knowledge like readily available. You don't have to like, I read like textbooks on it, like literally like endocrinology textbooks yeah. and like uh, Will Lewin's, um, if I'm even saying that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've like read his whole textbook and that's what was available. And luckily I'm, I'm somebody who actually likes to like get into the details, mm-hmm. but like the average, you know, gym bro <laughs> is not going to read a textbook. Right. They're going to say, well, hey bro, what do you take? Okay, I'll take that. Let me go to wherever I can get it. So uh, at least it's more out there now. Yeah. And that's thanks to people like Leo. And even though Boston's like, he talks about how much stuff he uses, he also makes it very clear. Like his clients are very, like very conscious of how much they use. And people like that are very public about their usage. It's good to know um, because otherwise you're listening to these forums and, you know, these people without any sort of historical evidence behind what they're saying, make these huge claims and, and, 18 year old kids, 17, 16 year old kids get on these forums because there, there's no limit to who can enter them sure. are hearing this stuff firsthand. It's like, no man. And then you got all these, these 15 year olds and these 16 year olds on TikTok getting on SARMs and yeah. it's like, oh. you're so fragile at that age, man. And your brain hasn't even fully developed. Your endocrine system is still starting to work as it normally should. And now you're just throwing a, a wrench in all the gears and, it's scary because if you're not public about it, and that's why personally, you know, I, I think all this stuff should be legalized generally because it would allow for at least some education in the process. Whereas now you have those 15 and those 16 year olds using these harmful substances without the knowledge of them even being harmful. They just see them as a thing to take to get a little bit more results. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Not to mention like going back to not knowing what you're getting like it, there's stuff that's legal that can still be totally. I mean, there was a, what was that product? There was thin, like a, there was like Halidrol and Superdrol and all yeah. that stuff. And, and I, I would be shocked if the SARMs that like kids are buying are a hundred percent what they're saying on the label. Like there's just no way. I, I know for a fact that some, a couple of my clients have gotten SARMs that turned out to be when tested D ball or even, even uh Winstrol. And wow. so like, even then you don't know, you, you don't know. And it's just like, this is, it's a dangerous territory because they're experimental compounds that somehow get a loophole to, to be sold. And it's, it's terrible because 
I mean, even a 15 year old could go on with mom's credit card and buy rad 140 and do a eight week cycle of it. And it's, yeah. it's scary. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So I would say the majority of the people who I coach are natural. I've got a couple who are on TRT and then I've got like one or two who are enhanced. Um, and you know, like I said, I don't care. I, I just want to know about it when I coach right. them. I, you obviously coach as well. Do you have a mix or do you have mostly natural trainees? Yeah, I have a mix. Um, a, a lot of my, so I just really openly started coaching, making it obvious. I used to just help people um, here and then, and they got some really good results. Um, and obviously like I, I'm very evidence-based. I do a lot of research and I look into the mechanisms of action. I don't just look at kind of the face value studies of like, this had this effect. Like I want to know why it had that effect and, and what's causing that effect. Um, so I know a lot about that stuff. So I, I like the enhanced athlete to be honest, because it is a little bit more, it's more entertaining per se, because yeah. there's more change and there's more variables. And that makes it fun for me. Cause like we said, experimenting, not that I experiment with my clients, but having that ability to add variables to a program and see the changes is really fun. Uh, that That's what makes progress cool. Yeah. Um, but I train mostly natural athletes, to be honest, because even just lifestyle, what I would quote is lifestyle people um, who are interested in losing weight. That's the bulk of my clients. Yeah. I was going to um, say, there's just more of them, right? Yeah. They, they just need, people need help like that. And it's great. They, they reach out because like, you, you know, we were just talking about, they likely don't know what a calorie deficit looks like. And if they're following men's health, they're going to think chicken, broccoli, and rice, and they're going to have a ton of micronutrient deficiencies and, you know, not have enough fats in their diets and just be a mess. You know, they're going to spike their cortisol. They're going to drop in testosterone. Women are going to become estrogen dominant. Um, so many problems. So it's good that they're reaching out to us. And, and I don't mind. Like, I, I like change is great. And weight loss, often you see a lot more change than weight gain. So, yeah. 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 I think it, it, you know, it could be hard to respond to like all DMs at times, but I usually, I almost always will at least respond um, and it's, those are like the ones that I think you can make the most impact. Like I liked like the kind of like ethereal discussions and whatnot and, and going into like the nitty gritty details of new studies. But the reality is like most of the help that we can give to people is going to come from people who are newer in this journey and have a lot of misunderstanding. And, and that's, I think, yeah. really rewarding. Yeah. I find out like I, I post a ton of research on my Instagram page and I do a ton of research and I find when I build people's programs and in my programs, I, I cite everything. So like I, I, if I say or make a recommendation, I'm going to cite like why I make that recommendation and my belief on it. Um, and, you know, I think these people, they come to me and they're like, okay, cool. Like what, what kind of stuff are we going to do that's different? And I'm like, well, it's, it's calorie deficit. We're going to add some cardio. Like it, it might not be the most sexy thing, but it's what works. Right. And, and that is like the practitioner side of things. Like there's variables that can be made to make it more efficient for sure. Um, but in the reality, like, it's just, it's a pretty simple process. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. I said, I really appreciate your help with the podcast up to this point. Absolutely. Um, so you, like you just mentioned, you coach, where can people find more of your stuff? Yeah, you can find me. I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, Colton underscore red is my Instagram handle. Um, just follow me on there. I post a lot of research and uh, obviously I coach. Um, I'm always looking for new athletes who are certainly motivated. Uh, I don't like the people who, aren't motivated and miss check-ins and stuff. So if you're motivated, yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, and I'm happy to help any way possible. Awesome. Thanks again, man. Yeah. Appreciate it.